Well, welcome to the holiday season. Just a little over a week ago, you may have been here, you may have been someplace else, enjoying a big meal with friends or family. In fact, I saw some of you at College Dale last week, Michael Kay I saw, I saw Frank and Pam Cox. It's always good to know that Hendersonville is keeping close tabs, so that's good. But how was your Thanksgiving? Did you spend it with family? Did you spend it alone? Did you travel far? Or did you just stay at home? Was the conversation shallow or over your head? Did you stay up too late and sleep late instead? Was the house immaculate? Was there a huge mess of toys? Was everything quiet? Was there far too much noise? Did you spend time with family? Did the grandkids get kissed? Or did you travel to China and break your wrist? (laughs) Did you have plenty of food? Was it all cooked just right? Was everything merry? Or did you get into a fight? Did all the strained relationships seem to get mended, or did new things crop up, leaving people offended? Did you enjoy every minute? Did you retreat back to work? Was everyone nice, or was somebody a jerk? And Christmas is coming. It soon will be here. Does that get you excited or fill you with fear? Did things go as planned, or were there delays? Was it Ben Franklin who said, visitors and fish smell after three days? (laughs) Now, after reading this little poem of questions that I composed, I feel very compelled to say we had a very nice Thanksgiving. We had a wonderful time in College Dale, but I've also been around long enough to know that holidays can be stressful. I was hoping we'd do it this way, somebody might say. Well, I wanted to spend the afternoon doing that instead. Well, we've always done it like this. It's tradition. I can't believe they said that. I just don't understand why Johnny doesn't want to come home for the holidays. And round and round and round it can go. Sometimes it can be a holiday filled with drama. We have a book that we read to our kids from time to time. Llama, llama, red pajama. Don't give so much drama to your llama mama. I don't know, it's something. And I always think there needs to be a verse about Obama. But anyway. (laughs) But what can be the answer to all the drama? I realize it can be rather complex. Things can get rather complicated. Relationships can be strained. For fear of doing the wrong thing, you don't do anything at all, and somebody might get offended, and around and around it can go. But I would be willing to say that probably a majority of the drama goes back to something very basic and very fundamental. 
selfishness. How do you like that picture? I have to go back. Joy. Does that ever describe some of your holiday seasons? I mean, you have the best of intentions. Everybody's planned to dress a certain way. You have the backdrop all set, and the, the, the photographer's there. Okay, everybody, say cheese. And you're standing back there hooping and hollering, and then you just, wah. If you can't relate to any of this, please let me know after the service. I'm going to come spend the holidays at your house. <laughs> First Corinthians 10, verse 34 Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Would that be good advice? Especially around the holidays? Here's another one. Philippians 2, 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Somehow we've gotten the idea that we are kind to others because they deserve it. But is that what this passage says? That we will do unto other people that are worthy of it. Is that what the passage says? And I wonder even if we dissect this thing of offended... It's almost as if we have to be offended. That's been programmed into us, I think, through the media and everything else. We, that was happening, and now I'm offended. You don't have to be offended. That's your choice to choose to be offended. You can choose to overlook. You can choose to turn the other cheek. cheek. I'm not trying to say what they did was okay. I'm not saying it was, wasn't insensitive. I'm just saying you can choose how you respond, and you don't have to be offended. I think we'd be hard-pressed to find places in Scripture where Jesus is offended, but I think there were many times he very well could have been if he chose to respond in that way. I want to read to you a relatively long excerpt, but it'll go pretty quick, from the desire of ages of how God intended the planet to function in relationship to each other. And every time as I'm reading, I get to a word that's underlined in light blue, I want you to say it with me. Can you do that? What did I just say? You're going to read the word that's underlined in light blue. Okay, you ready? This is taken from Desire of Ages. We're starting in page 20. It says, there is nothing save the selfish heart of man that lives unto itself. Don't miss that part. No bird that cleaves the air, no animal that moves upon the ground, but ministers to some other life. We continue on. Every tree and shrub, leaf and leaf, pours forth that element of life without which neither man nor animal could live. And man and animal in turn minister to the life of tree and shrub and leaf. The ocean itself, the source of all springs and fountains, receives the streams from every land, but takes to give. The mists ascend from its bosom, fall in showers in water the earth. The angels of glory find their joy in giving, giving love and tireless watch care to souls that are fallen and unholy. But turning from all lesser representations, we behold God in Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, we see that it is the glory of our God to give. 
give. I do nothing of myself, said Christ. The living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father. I seek not my own glory, but the glory of him that sent me. In these, word, in these words is set forth the great principles, which is the law of life for the universe. All things Christ received from God, but he took to give. So in the heavenly courts, in his ministry for all created beings through the beloved Son, the Father's life flows out to all. Through the Son, it returns in praise and joyous service, a tide of love to the great source of all. And thus, through Christ, the circuit of beneficence is complete, representing the character of the great giver, the law of life. Now, maybe you got confused in the middle of all that. Maybe you were too nervous about looking for the blue words. But if you look and study those first few pages of Desire of Ages, it's talking about how everything receives to give. In fact, I have this slide here for the contrast. There's nothing is the first part to say the selfish heart of man that lives unto itself. Think about that. Nothing except... The selfish heart of man lives unto me, myself, and I. Can't help but think about the Dead Sea. The water comes in, it evaporates, and all this stuff just stays there, and it just gets so polluted, really. And the opposite, the law of life is receiving to give. Everything in the universe and the streams and the flowers and, the, and everything works together, it receives to give, receives to give. That was God's intention. And she calls that the circuit of beneficence. Yet sometimes we like to short circuit what he planned all along. I'm going to receive to benefit me. I'm going to receive to build up my wealth, my bottom line, my prestige, whatever it is. I'm going to just receive, 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 receive. I don't believe that's what God ever intended. A couple of passages here in 1 John 4, 8 and 4, 16, twice, in case you miss it the first time, it comes right back around. God is, God is love. So you may be asking, well, what's love? <clears throat> well, you know this verse too. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning verse 4. Love suffers long. Don't just race over that. Stop and think about that. Love suffers long. Do you know what that means in the original language? It suffers long. <laughs> it just waits patiently. Anybody here suffering long in a relationship? Maybe you're offended. Maybe you think, I shouldn't be in this situation, this position. Yeah. I'm sorry, but love, true love, suffers long. God's been suffering long. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own is not provoked, 
thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Envy. Wanting for yourself. Parade itself. That's to show off for yourself. Puffed up. Well, that's arrogance. That's boastful. That's thinking pretty big of yourself. Does not seek its own. That's putting the interests of others ahead of your interests. Love, according to the biblical definition, I would say is selflessness. Would you agree? Putting others ahead of yourself. Love always manifests itself, and I believe this as well, in action. You have to do. And that brings us back to this circuit of beneficence. John 3.16, that Nyla read for us. For God so loved the world that he gave. Love turned into an action. It's not the only time we see this. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And you notice it doesn't say he gave himself for me for a time. In heaven, we get new bodies. Christ, he'll have scars. Is it true? Desire of Ages says this, in taking our nature, the Savior has bound himself to humanity by a tie that is never to be broken. Through the eternal ages, he is linked with us. Have you thought about that recently? The God of the universe being forever linked to humanity? Continuing on, God gave his only begotten son to become one of the human family, forever to retain his human nature. It's a pretty big sacrifice, I'd say. We see this in other places, too. Thank you, Dame. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Love always results in giving. True love does not take, but true love gives. And true love is self-sacrificing. Another verse here. This is John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You want to love? Lay down your life for somebody else. Lay down your tradition. Lay down your ideal. Lay down your plans. Lay down what you want to do. Lay down your preferences. 
But ultimately, the apex, lay down your life. The ultimate act of selflessness, self-sacrifice for others. Philippians 2, we read this, but we're going to read it again. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Continuing on, let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. So love isn't a flight of fancy. It's not just a cutesy feeling. It's really a theological principle of the universe that allows you to receive, to give. I wonder if part of the problem, aka part of the drama at the holiday season, is that everybody's routine is thrown off. Maybe there's six kids living out of one room and nobody slept too well, but everybody stayed up too late and ate too much sugar and so they didn't sleep well and and the devotions just kind of melt away. And so we're not receiving, therefore we're not being able to give. We're not meeting and spending time with the source of life and love and so we really can't love well. And very quickly our humanness can take over. And with one little word, seems like I heard somewhere just this week, a pastor was preaching and he said, he was talking about all the ways that we sin and in scripture, I'd have to go back and exactly find it, but he says in scripture, it talks about all the ways we sin with our mouth. And he came up with some percentage and it was the majority of the time that scripture speaks. It's not something we do, it's something we say. Can't that be true? So quickly, our lips just form something that we were thinking. Maybe the problem is the thinking in the first place. And the problem with the thinking is not spending time in his word. And it just slips out and it's gone. Like a tube of toothpaste, you can't put it back in. And you can say, I'm sorry, once, twice, three, eight times, and it's still out there. Let each one look not only to, of his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is embedded in the law of God. When Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself, and then give to God and give to others, he separated those two out. But there's not a third table of the law that says how you love you. Have you noticed that? First part of the Ten Commandments is this is how you love God. The second part is how you love your neighbor. Where's the third part? How do I love me? How do I take care of number one? I think it's implied that as you take care of others, who will take care of you? Others will take care of you. We know that in relationships. We know that in married relationships. When you give, oftentimes you get. Now, should you do it with that motive? No. But if you need, then you give and you give and you give and that will reciprocate. That's fine. They just need to start first. (laughs) Is that the attitude? (laughs) 
Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You look at the great controversy, the big difference between Christ and Satan, besides creator and creature, Christ is selfless. And Satan, well, he's quite selfish, isn't he? And every other thing in the universe is a war between this idea and which idea will win. Which governing principle of the universe will win out? Will it be selflessness? Will it be selfishness? You know this verse well, Isaiah 14, 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Lucifer had an eye problem. He was selfish. Zara of Ages, page 21, says, sin originated in self-seeking. I came across this article. It's been a while since it came out, Time Magazine. The me, me, me generation. Maybe you're supposed to read it different. But there's a girl there. She's taking a selfie of, well, herself posting up pictures of me and what I'm doing right now. This is what I'm eating. This is where I'm going. This is where I'm vacationing. This is what I'm wearing today. This is what I look like when I go outside. This is me in the snow. This is me at the beach. You get the idea, don't you? And so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just thought all y'all wanted to know about me Here's what I'm doing. <clears throat> and you may have noticed that everyone really wants to make a name for themselves. I shouldn't say everyone, a lot of people, most people. They want to make a name for themselves. They want to have an image, a look to them, a sound to them. So they spend hours and hours and hours on their Facebook page. So when it's pulled up, people can say, ah, there's somebody that's fill in the blank. Oh, they're so poetic. They're so artsy. Oh, they're a little bit sassy. They're, you know, whatever it might be. But everybody wants an image. But you might be thinking, yes, I know, I know, selfishness is sin. But I go to church. I give money to further the Lord's work. I'm involved in ministry. I do nice things for people. I read my Bible and pray daily. I volunteer in the community. I, I, I start to sound like Isaiah 14 real quick. And even in Christianity, I would propose that we can miss it. We slip into the idea that it's all about us. Jesus died for me. 
The Sabbath is for me. The Bible helps me become a better person. God bless me. Now, that's not necessarily wrong, but do you understand where I'm coming from? Even in Christianity, we can become very selfish and self-centered. When really it has nothing to do with me, but it's all about him. Is that true or am I off base? Yet we look at Christ and he had none of that. He made himself of no reputation. He even says that his appearance, there was nothing in his appearance to draw people to him except his character, how he related to people. And then he took the form of a slave, coming in the likeness of man. This comes from Manuscript Releases, Volume 3. All sin is selfishness. Think about it. Is that true? All sin is selfishness? It is. All sin is selfishness. Satan's first sin was selfishness. He sought to grasp power and to exalt self. And before I commit any outward sin, the sin that really comes first is this idea that I know best. And I'm going to put myself where Christ belongs. Think about any sin you want. It's selfish. You did that because you wanted it. You may be talking about extreme forms of abuse or just petty theft. But you didn't want for God or for others, but instead... You wanted it for you. And that's sin. And we could even go as far as to say that sin is a four-letter word, self. Second Timothy 3, 1 to 3 doesn't get much better. <clears throat> In the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. Have you had enough yet? Without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness so that you can't notice, but denying its power. The great difference between Christ and Satan Christ operates exclusively on a platform of selflessness. And Satan operates exclusively on a platform of selfishness. Christ would give everything, including his own life, if it were necessary. And Satan would take everything, including Christ's own life, if it were necessary. And this is the great divide. And each of our characters will be formed after one or the other. We will become more like Jesus and his selflessness or more like Satan and his selfishness. There's only those two options. And that's why Paul says often you will either be a slave to Christ or a slave to sin. Sin. 
be one or the other. But Paul argues, let this mind be in you. Do you remember that passage? Let's look at it here. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The word for let can also be translated allow. Let, allow. This mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery. Instead of robbery, it could be something to be grasped. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Oh, did I get ahead of us here? <clears throat> yeah, okay. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because he was God. Have you noticed that people that are confident in who they are in Christ don't have to talk about themselves all the time? Jesus didn't walk around saying, did you notice I'm the son of God? You probably know my dad. He didn't have to flex that muscle. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Literally means he emptied himself. He emptied himself from the privileges and the prerogatives of God. He emptied himself from the presence and the adoration of the angels. He emptied himself from sitting on a throne and taking the form of a bondservant. Can also be translated as slave. And coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, the God of the universe, the one that we praise, that we honor, that we sing praises to. The only one that can truly receive our praise is God anyway, but it is the God of the universe that humbles himself, and we see this condescension lower and lower and lower and lower. Becoming obedient to the point of death, even Death of the cross. The most horrible, despicable way to die. Desire of Ages says this. This was a voluntary sacrifice. Jesus might have remained at the Father's side. He might have retained the glory of heaven and the homage of the angels. But he chose to give back the scepter into the Father's hands and to step down from the throne of the universe that he might bring light to the benighted and live to the perishing. I would submit this is the most selfless act of all time. To give up omnipotence forever, to be linked with humanity forever. Not only to become a man, but a slave, to be spit upon, beaten, rejected, despised, and to die naked on a cross. Tsar of Ages says this, the plan of our redemption was not an afterthought. A plan formulated after the fall of Adam. There was no, oops, what do we do now? Plan B. 
In God's perspective, he could see the end from the beginning and he knew we would sin. He knew we'd need a savior. He knew we'd have to come and die and he was able to look down through eternity and he'd say, I'm still gonna do it. I'm still gonna create. Because he saw the end and he said, it's worth it. I will humble myself to the lowest form possible because it's worth it. You're worth it. Isn't that humbling? This one's from Ministry of Healing 105. Jesus did not consider heaven a place to be desired while we were lost. You and me, not having to come and die. It's just gonna feel empty. There's gonna be a place at the table missing. Thousands of them, millions of them. So we're gonna do this. And so he did. And he came in a very humble way, didn't he? I don't know if you were on the planning committee, if you would have come up with the idea of how Jesus would come. In fact, I think you probably would have voted it down. But Jesus said, no, that's how I'm gonna come. And we like to clean up this, the scene a little bit, but when's the last time you were in the barn? And if it's a busy time, it's a dirty barn. Just curious, out of show of hands, how many of you were born in a hospital? Raise your hands. How many of you were born at home? How many of you were born in the car on the way to the hospital? <laughs> how many of you were born in a barn or a cave? Raise your hand. Anybody? Come on, there's got to be somebody. Anybody? You don't have to be shy. If Jesus was right here, he'd be raising his hand. The virgin shall be with the child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. The God of the universe with us. Forever bonded with humanity. And so he came as a helpless child knowing full well where it would lead. And it was at the cross that the contrast was most fully seen. The character of Satan was fully exposed to the universe and the character of Christ was fully exposed to the universe. And everyone could see for themselves what selfishness looks like and what selflessness looks like. So this time of year, during the holidays, during the bustle, in your relationships, in your interactions, as you see Jesus in a manger, don't forget the selflessness of that act. And by God's grace, let that mind be in you and me.
this holiday season. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we cannot begin to fathom what you gave us. The sacrifice you were willing to make to be Emmanuel, God with us. Yes, to be made in the form of a man here on earth, but to make possible Emmanuel for eternity. Lord, to say thank you is not enough. We are compelled to do more. So, Lord, it's our prayer that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you will plant your mind in us, that we may be selfless, that we may be crucified with Christ, that we may bring honor and glory to you is our prayer in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.